Good morning. Uh, kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. Uh, kids, you'll be, as Easter approaches, just a couple weeks away, uh, kids will be talking about preparation for the Passover. So uh, if you have a child, we'd encourage you to talk with them after the service about what they're learning over there, and uh, maybe you'll learn something as well. So it'll be a great, great opportunity for you. Uh, one other thing before I begin, Pastor Chuck is away, as you've noticed. He is in Italy with Allison Wolf, our uh, resident uh, student resident, youth resident, and also with Kent Hardy, a member of our transition team. So I have a couple of slides that were provided. Uh, this is a nondescript building. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I assume it's the church that they meet in, must be the church. And there is Pastor Rob Rouse. You remember him came, he came here last year and preached for us. And uh, we're building a missions partnership with them. And so be in prayer for Pastor Chuck and for Allison and for uh, Kent as they're ministering to and encouraging the, the people there in Italy and learning how we can grow in our partnership with them. So be in prayer for them if you would. They'll be back next week. So if you're new here this morning, we're right in the middle of a series on wisdom. Wisdom. Should I date this person? Should I take this job? Public school or charter school? Yes, for me, the answer to that would be no, I should not date this person, right? Since I'm married. Paper or plastic? Should I confront this person before they end up uh, ruining their life over this issue? Should I or how should I answer the question, does this dress make me look fat? We're all faced with, with questions to ask. And as we've seen, there's this little book in the in the Bible called Proverbs that is just chock full of wisdom and truth. And it's not hidden knowledge. It's not esoteric. It's not mystical. Sometimes Jesus' parables were hard to understand, hard for us to understand. But it's not that way with the Proverbs. Proverbs is just straight up truth, just waiting for it to be applied to our lives. And so we come today, as, as Todd prayed, to the topic of money. I feel like there should be some dramatic music when I say that. Um, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall and could have heard your thoughts when you found out that today we'd be talking about money. And I wish that you could have been a fly on the wall when I found out that I'd be talking about money as well. So this is a uh, tough topic. I think that for most, there's not anything that better reveals our hearts than money, how we deal with money. The way we view money, the way we spend money, the way we save, the way we give, all of that reveals our loves and our hopes, often our false loves, our false hopes. So prepare yourself. This is a tough topic and a lot of truth from God's word, truth that I think will make us uncomfortable, but truth that we need to hear. And as I've prepared, uh, well aware, been convicted myself of how my view of money is different from what God's word says. So. Uh, certainly been convicting to me. I hope it's convicting to you as well. So the question we have today is, have you mastered money? Have you mastered money? And to get us started on this topic, let me ask you to consider for just a moment, what's, what's your biggest money mistake? What's the biggest money mistake that you've ever made? Think about that for just a moment. You don't need to answer out loud, but just want you to think about that. What's your biggest money mistake? For me, it was when I went to the local T-Mobile store a few uh, months ago, and I saw these awesome headphones, these Beats by Dre headphones. <laughs> and they were only $7 a month for the next three or four months. And so I thought, why not? 
And then I went to church the next day and I found out what an idiot I was for, for buying those. If, if that makes, I'm kidding, if that makes no sense to you, then you have not heard the first sermon in this series. Jump back online, pick up the ones that you've missed, and that will make a whole lot more sense uh, for those that, that don't get that. But all kidding aside, Proverbs is full of verses regarding money. They're short little snippets, uh, one here and one there. They kind of pop you in the mouth like little jabs. And the book of Proverbs uh, treats money differently than some of the other topics that we've already covered. You remember a couple weeks ago when Pastor Chuck preached on sex, and there were three really long passages that Proverbs in the book of Proverbs on, on sex, and even last week on the topic of work, there were several longer passages on the topic of work, talking about the diligent or the sluggard. Proverbs, there's, there's just these little short uh, one-verse little jabs, and then there is a uh, little longer passage of three verses that we'll talk about in just a minute. That's, that's our main text. We'll get there in just a minute. But just to whet your appetite on what Proverbs has to say, here's a sampling of those quick hitters. Proverbs 11.28 reads, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs 16.8, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. And Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than sil silver. So do you see what I mean? Short little bites of truth all over Proverbs about the topic of money. Here we see that trusting in wealth will fail you, that God is better than wealth, that God should be the focus of our life rather than money being the focus of our life, that wisdom is of greater value than all the material wealth that you can imagine. So we're going to camp out on three verses in Proverbs chapter 30, so you can go ahead and turn there now if you would. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you, and in that Bible under the seat in front of you, you'll find it on page 377, Proverbs chapter 30 on 377 of that Bible. So before we get to that passage, though, before we read that, that short passage, we need to do a little uh, backing up and kind of do an overview of the concept of, of financial stewardship. Uh, that'll help us to understand Proverbs 30 rightly. So we're going to get to Proverbs 30 in just a moment, but look first at what does God say in his entire word about material things, about money, about the importance of money. What does God's word say about that? So there's a few principles that we need to start with. And uh, are you ready for the fire hose? Because I'm going to open it up and just uh, say what God says here. So first concept or first principle that God says about money is that God owns everything. God owns everything and we own nothing. Psalm 24.1 reads, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And then Job 41.11, who has first given to me, this is God speaking, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. So the truth, that's just two verses. The, the truth that God owns everything is all over Scripture. And it's so countercultural to us. The world does not teach that at all. We like to believe that whatever we have or whatever we, we accomplish is thanks to us. It's my doing. It's because of me. 
We see it early on. Just watch kids playing with toys. They can pick up a toy they've never seen before, pick it up and have it in their hands for two seconds, and then what do they say when somebody tries to take it from them? It's mine, right? They say it's mine. We see that later in life. We hear the saying, it's my body, and I get to decide how I use it. We'll talk about that one. We'll talk about the issue of self-control next week. But the point is that we like to think that we own it all, that we're responsible for everything, all the good that we do. We say that any good that I do is due to my own talent. For instance, you, you might say that uh, I am wealthy because I'm smarter than everybody else or because I'm a harder worker. But who gave you your intelligence? Who gave you your work ethic or your ability to have self-discipline? Or you might say, I, I have a, a, a great spouse because I'm so nice. But who blessed you with your awesome good looks and your great personality? Who even gave you the ability to breathe? Who chose where you were born? Who chose when you were going to be born? Friends, we're not responsible for any of that. God is the owner of all. He created everything, and he owns everything. And we own nothing. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do you have that you did not receive? If, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you earned it? So do you know what that means? That car that you've been working so hard for to pay off, and you finally just paid it off last month, it's not yours. That qualifies as something that's under the whole heaven, right? That diploma hanging on your wall, that's not yours. That money in your bank account, that's not yours either. God owns everything. And again, I know that's so countercultural, isn't it? You would never, ever, ever hear that anywhere else than in a church. It's what God's word teaches. It's God's truth. So it may be difficult, but it's true. So if everything is God's, if everything belongs to God and nothing is really ours, then we need to look at a new word to explain what that means. And that word is stewardship. So that's not a common word. Stewardship is not a common word, but rightly understood, it helps us understand how God views money and how we should view money. Some good synonyms for stewardship would be administration or care. Administration or care. So to be more specific, a steward is someone who's been placed in charge to care for something that doesn't belong to them. Doesn't belong to them. So stewardship is the care and administration of something that you don't own. So we see that depicted in several places in Scripture. We see it in the book of Genesis early on when God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden to be stewards of not what they created, they didn't create that, stewards of all of God's creation. We see that later in uh, one of Jesus' parables of the faithful steward in Matthew 25. We see that concept over and over. So God owns everything. We're stewards. Further, everything that God created is good. So when he created the heavens and the earth, as described in, in the book of Genesis, what was the familiar refrain? God would create and then he would say, and it was good. So everything God created was good. We see that in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 4, 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So everything encompasses everything, right? 
There's not anything that everything doesn't encompass. It encompasses everything. So material wealth is not a bad thing. Let me say that again, just to be clear. Material wealth is not a bad thing. In fact, the right enjoyment of material things actually brings glory to God. A couple of chapters later, in 1 Timothy 6.17, we read, And as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So here in this one verse, in one sentence, we see that, that God has provided wealth for us to enjoy, that we are to enjoy the things that he provides for us, but he also says, don't put your hope in that wealth. So God has pr provided everything. There's nothing wrong with material wealth. It's not a bad thing, but don't put your hope in that material wealth. The reason for that is because money is just a tool. In our hearts, we say, I earned this money. It's mine. Don't tell me what to do with it. But if we agree with Scripture, if we believe Scripture, then we know and understand that everything belongs to God. And we see that money is just a tool to be used by God. And actually that lifts a huge burden off of our shoulders when we realize that, that money is just a tool. Living in the light of that truth frees us from being selfish because it's it's not ours in the first place. So why go chasing after something that's not really yours? The final thing that God's word teaches us about stewardship is the point of it all, the point of stewardship. So if God owns everything, if everything he created is good, if money's just a tool, then he must have a purpose for material wealth, for, for everything that he created. And what is that purpose? Well, it's to bring glory to God. It's to bring glory to himself. We see in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So all that we do, and indeed all that we have, is meant to bring glory to God. And a good steward isn't out to make more for himself or herself. A good steward is out to make more of the owner because he's the owner. And how much more is that true of God? If God is the owner and we are the steward. So we so want this to not be true, but it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. God is good always. God's perfect. God's holy. God's righteous. God's loving. God's kind. He's compassionate. And I won't speak for you, but I'm not, at least a lot of the time, maybe even most of the time, I'm not that. So I should be about making much of the owner, the one who is worthy of that, because he's the owner, because he's good. Now, if you struggle, and I'm sure that there are some here that struggle with this concept of stewardship, we are taught from an early age to work hard, and that it's my stuff. I work hard for my stuff. That's a difficult concept. It's something we're taught over and over and over again. If you struggle with that concept, struggle with agreeing with God's word, that it's not really yours, that God owns everything, then I just want to assure you, you're not alone in that would love to talk with you further about that. Talk with somebody in your gospel community about that. We'd love to walk with you through that so you can see what God's word actually says. So that is a very short crash course on stewardship. We could spend a lot more time on each of those things. But 
as I said, understanding stewardship is helpful for us as we get to the main passage, Proverbs chapter 30. So if you're not there already, turn to Proverbs 30, and we're going to read just these three verses, verses 7 through 9. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So does that clear everything up as to how we're supposed to master money? This, actually, this was super confusing to me um, as, I, as I looked at this. Um, and thankfully for my ego, this was super confusing to the commentators also that they read this, so I'm not alone in that. Um, what's confusing about this is that he has two requests, right? But then what happens in verses 8 and 9? There's this whole long list of things. So, so what are the two requests that he's making? Because it's, it's kind of hard to understand and discern what, what are these two requests. So I, I take back what I said about Proverbs being just straight up truth and easy to understand. Uh, at, at least these three verses, for me, at least for me, these were not easy to understand. So let me just set out the two requests at the beginning, and then we can maneuver through them as we go forward. So the first thing that he's asking for concerns his heart. He says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. So that's the first one. That's the first request. The second that he's asking for also concerns his heart. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. So I may be cheating a little bit here, but I think the second request has two parts. So there's two requests, and we're going to call, call these 2A and 2B. So he's saying, don't let me get, this is talking about the second request, he's saying, don't let me get caught up in money. Instead, let me get caught up in the things that really matter. Another way to say that, keep me from the love of money. Instead, help me to love you. One other way that I want to put this, he's saying, God, don't let me fill my heart with meaningless stuff that won't last. Instead, fill my heart with you. You understand that? You see that? So two requests. A couple of things about this before we dive in further. First is that these three verses reveal, uh, these three verses are the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. So the only prayer in Proverbs is these three verses. And I think that's just really cool to see what he prayed for. What, what was prayed for with these three verses? Second, if you are going to ask for only two things, what would you ask for? If you only had two requests of God, what would you ask for? I'm amazed at the humility of the author of this proverb. I'd be tempted to ask for some superpower, you know, some ability, something that would make my life a little bit easier. Uh, or if I was going to be a, a good little Christian, I would say, God, give me lots of money so that I can bless other people, so that I can give it away, right? All knowing, of course, that I would take my cut, right? So um, he doesn't ask for any of that. I think it's amazing humility. Let's look at what he asked for. The two requests center on one goal, and they concern character. They concern matters of the heart. And that is wisdom. That's wisdom. He's concerned about his heart. So what humility to ask for godly integrity? 
to ask God only for what he really needs rather than for what he thinks that he wants. So it's as though he's saying to himself, he's saying uh, self or he's saying to, to himself, he's saying heart, don't reach too far. Don't reach for too much. Don't reach for riches, but don't reach too shallow. Don't reach for too little. Don't reach for poverty either. Only reach for God. Only reach for what he says that you need and be content with what God says that you need. Isn't that beautiful that he would pray for that and ask for that? So let's talk about what this, this means. He says, remove falsehood and lying, and then keep me from making money ultimate. Instead, give me you. So those are the two requests. So let's start in the middle with request 2A. Start with 2A. It's keep me from making money ultimate. Give me neither poverty nor riches. What, what does that mean? What's he saying there? Well, there's a word for making money ultimate. And that word is materialism. And what's materialism? Well, materialism is ultimately a matter of the heart. It's a matter of your heart. It's a value or a belief system or a way of living that says that buying, spending, saving, accumulating is of utmost importance. That is of utmost importance. Materialism is an inordinate desire or dependence on money and material things. So what is materialism? That's, that's a definition, but, but what are the components of that? Well, first of all, it's blinding. Materialism is blinding. It distorts. In fact, I would imagine that many here today, perhaps even most, would say that they don't have a problem with materialism. It's not something that I really struggle with. It's so hidden. In fact, all it takes is this. I would imagine that, that everyone in here has at least one person in your life who uh, spends a little bit more recklessly than you do. You know somebody that spends a little bit more recklessly than you do. Or quite possibly you have a relative who spends a little bit more extravagantly than you do, at least in one area, and that's all it takes. If you can find one person that's a little bit worse than you are in one certain area of, of spending, then that's it. That's all that, that, it, that matters. It's so deceptive. I've been counseling others for over 15 years, been on a church staff for over 10, 10 years, and uh, I've heard all sorts of confessions. Uh, people confess all sorts of different things. One of the most rare is, in fact, I think it's only happened two or three times for somebody to say, I am materialistic. I have a problem with money. I'm greedy. It just doesn't happen. We, we so easily deceive ourselves. So please listen. If you're here today and you're saying, this doesn't apply to me, then that quite possibly is a very bad sign. That means you ought to listen. One of the symptoms of materialism is to say, this just isn't true of me. Or if you're sitting there thinking, I wish that so-and-so were here to hear this instead of me, that might be another bad sign if you're thinking about somebody else that needs to hear this worse than you. So further, materialism says that I should buy things to make me happy or that I should save in order to make me happy. I should save in order to feel secure. So this is a heart issue, remember? And remember what we talked about a moment ago. God created everything, and everything God created for us is good. So material wealth isn't a bad thing. So this, this is tricky. Since materialism is a heart issue, one person can go on a family vacation or they can buy a new phone 
And they can do that to glorify God. Another person can go on the same family vacation by the exact same phone and it be meant to glorify themselves because it's a matter of the heart. Why are you buying these things? Why are you saving? Why are you spending the way you spent? Are you spending to glorify God or are you spending to glorify yourself? So one way to tell is to ask why you're using that money. Buying things that don't belong to us anyway can't give us lasting happiness. They can't give you ultimate happiness. Because as we said, money is just a tool. Money is not evil, but it's like a knife. If it's used in the right way, it can do great good, like a surgeon's knife can do great good. But if it's used in the wrong way, if it's mishandled, it can cause lots of damage. That's the way money is. And the heart determines all of that. So are you seeking after happiness or fulfillment in stuff, in what you buy? Materialism is using things to fill a perceived need in your life, entrusting yourself to money and things when we should only be entrusting ourselves to God. So please don't hear me saying live the life of a miser, because the miser can be just as materialistic as someone who spends extravagantly. The miser is putting the trust in the money that they save as well. The issue is your heart. The issue is what are you doing with that money? Are you trying to glorify God or are you trying to glorify yourself? So that's what the proverbian, proverbigist author of Proverbs is getting at here. He says, in the first request, remember the first request, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Why is that in here? Why is he talking about, why, why is that his first request? Is remove far from me falsehood and lying. Because materialism makes a liar out of us. It replaces God in our lives so that we proclaim with our mouths. When we proclaim with our mouths that Christ is Lord, that's far different from what our actions show. Our actions are showing that comfort is my Lord, or that security is my Lord, or that the latest thing competing with the Joneses is ultimate to me, is my Lord. A Christian author said, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And that is just as true of money. Money can be lord of your life. Money can control you. Materialism also kills our Christian witness. We ought, as Christians, as believers, we ought to look different than the rest of the world. Yet so often it's nearly impossible to tell who's a Christian and who's not a Christian based on the way they spend or the way they save, the way they use money seeing how much debt they have, seeing how our lives are ruled by that money. So what do your actions shout about who's Lord? Are you chasing after wealth? Are you consumed by the next thing that you're going to buy? When you were once content with this much, are you not content now until you have this much? And then once you have this much, you're not going to be content until you have this much. Are you constantly comparing yourself to other people? Do you check your investments once a week or more often? Does a large part of your daily life consist of maintaining or thinking about or dreaming of material wealth? 
materialism affects the very, very rich, and it affects the very, very poor, and it affects everybody in between. This is not just something that affects wealthy people. Materialism pushes God away, and in its place, in his place, it puts a love for money. As Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. The fool chases after wealth, thinking that it's going to fulfill them, but it just leaves him empty. The wise man turns from materialism to something better. So what's better? What's better than money? What's, what's better than wealth? Well, the author of Proverbs 30 tells us, let's be reminded of request 2B. Request 2B, he says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. Or he's saying, give me what I really need. Keep me from poverty and riches. Don't let me be materialistic. Instead, give me what I really need. You remember what Jesus called himself. He called himself the bread of life. So friends, what do we really need more than anything? It's Christ. Our lives are just a mist, just a few short decades, and then after that we spend an eternity either in heaven with Jesus or in hell apart from Jesus. So we don't really need the things of this world. We don't need all the shiny new stuff. We don't need to chase after materialism. What we really need is Christ. We need more of the God who created us, who loves us, who gave everything for us. So how can anything be better than Christ? Christ is the food that's needful for you. So let's get practical. Let's talk about how do we avoid materialism? How do you avoid materialism and focus on Christ instead? Well, there's this beautiful analogy I'd like to try to draw. Uh, it's in Tim Chester's book, You Can Change, which if you've been through our Disciple Makers class on Wednesday night, you've read that book, and perhaps this this will be familiar to you, but how many, how many fans of, of um, Greek mythology are there out there? A couple people. How many of you have heard of the sirens? Heard of the sirens? The sirens were these beautiful but deadly uh, creatures who lived on an island, and they sang, they made such beautiful music that when the sailors were going by the island, the sailors were drawn to uh, the island. And so they, they would wreck their ships on the boulders surrounding the island, and then the sirens would eat them. Good stuff, right? So there were a couple ways in Greek mythology to avoid death by siren. And the first was Odysseus. You've heard of him uh, from Homer's epic, The Odyssey. And his way was to just have his sailors plug their ears with wax. Uh, some of you are familiar with that. Just plug your ears with wax. That actually worked. If you can't hear the call of the sirens, then you're not going to be drawn to them. The other way was by Jason. Uh, you've heard of Jason and the Argonauts? Heard of that? He brought a guy on his voyage named Orpheus. Uh, that's where we get the Orpheum Theater, the name for the Orpheum Theater. Orpheus was an amazing musician. And so when they were about to pass by the island, he had Orpheus pull out his lyre, which is I think some sort of instrument, and played on this instrument. And maybe it was a kazoo. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he played on this, this instrument, and he played such amazing, beautiful music that the sound of the sirens was meaningless 
to the, soul, to the sailors. They didn't hear it because all they could focus on was this amazing, beautiful music that Orpheus was playing. Friends, that's how you minimize materialism, and that's how you focus on Christ. Your heart can't be left without an object to desire. It has to have something to lay hold of. It has to have something to cling to. Your heart has to know something better. So you can't just take away materialism. We live in a world where we're bombarded all the time by shiny stuff. There's always something more that we can fill our pockets with or put in our house or drive around. We're practically begged to compare what others have to what we have. We're told that if we don't have this, then we're not good enough. If we don't save this much for retirement, then we're going to live in abject poverty and the world will end. So we, we simply can't go the way of Odysseus and plug our ears with wax. That's impossible. Materialism is all around us. So we can't simply ignore it. But there is a better way. We can focus on what's better. Christ is better. Christ plays better music. He offers a better way. We spend so much of our lives trying to attain, trying to get things to make us comfortable, trying to gain security in some way. And yet there's an eternity afterwards. Shouldn't we spend our lives preparing for what lies ahead? That's what Jesus did. He didn't just uh, teach us how to spend our wealth. He lovingly showed us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and how was Jesus rich? He's in heaven. He had everything he wanted. He had perfect fellowship with the Father, perfect fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Yet, for your sake, he became poor. And how did he become poor? Well, he added humanity to his godhood. He became one of us. He became a stinky baby, right? He became a man. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So, friends, if you're going to compare yourself to someone, if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, don't compare yourself to anybody other than Christ. He spends recklessly on you, on us. Jesus gave everything for us so that we might have life. And isn't he worth making your all? So one way to see if you've mastered money is to ask, can I really pray this prayer? Can I honestly pray this prayer of Proverbs 30? Can I honestly pray this prayer? If not, and even if so, here's a couple of practical ways to help you focus on Christ, to focus on what's better. First three are quick, and then I'm going to spend uh, just a few minutes more on the last one. So first, Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we treasure Christ, our hearts will follow. But again, friends, it's hard to treasure something that you never spend any time with. It's hard to treasure something that is off in the distance and you never really think about. So let me challenge you to have an unwavering, uh, unchallenged commitment to spending time with Christ. Read God's Word daily. Spend time in prayer with Him. That's how you can treasure Christ, by doing that. Second, guard your heart by talking about God. Share the gospel. Share how God's changed you. Make that a part of your life. That's great for your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors, but 
that's, that's also great for your own heart. If you're constantly talking about what God has done in your life, then that's going to help you. That's going to help you to treasure Christ, to remember what he's done for you. Third, guard your heart by confessing materialism as sin. So do what verse 8 says and remove far from yourself falsehood and lying. Find, be honest about your heart. Find somebody in your gospel community and ask them, how am I doing? How does it appear that my heart is doing in relation to materialism? How am I doing in that regard? And then fourth, guard your heart by giving generously. It's hard to fight materialism. It's hard to focus on Christ if you're not giving anything financially or if you only give enough that you don't even notice that you're giving. Giving fights greed. So I want to spend just a moment more on this. I know this is a, a, an uncomfortable topic to talk about giving, but I think it's, it's not right for us to ignore what Scripture says about that. So it's important. Giving is a, a tangible way to show how great God is. God gave everything for us. He held nothing back, not even himself in Jesus. So when we give, we show how great God is. We show how amazing he is, what he's done for us. The God who had everything became nothing and gave everything for us. So I, I wonder, do you treasure Christ anywhere close to that? If you were somehow able to be completely objective about your own heart regarding how much you give, how you use your finances, would you say that you treasured God much or that you treasured him little? Would someone be able to tell that God is everything to you or would they say that, that God's only important at the end of the year when you have a little bit left over or when maybe you want a tax write-off or when you want to look good in front of others by giving? So one way to know if you've mastered money is that you get really generous. How generous am I talking about? Well, look at what Jesus did. You give enough away that it changes your lifestyle. So is there a cross in your economic life? If not, then you're not responding to Jesus the way that he responded to you. For most people, a tithe, 10%, is not really an economic cross in your lifestyle. Now, for some, it is. For some, even less than that, it is, for sure. But increasingly in America, I would say that 10% is just a ripple in the stream because we're always chasing after something more that we can have when all of our needs are already met. Jesus went way past the tithe. So I would ask, is there a cross in your lifestyle? If you've mastered money, then you'll give generously. Our generosity reveals our hearts towards God. Do we make much of him, or do we hoard for ourselves and make much of us? Our generosity reveals whether we've mastered money. Hard words, I know, but hopefully hard words find their ways in soft hearts. Let me close with this. Uh, what are hopefully some super practical ways to show whether you've mastered money, to help you to master money. So in the spirit of the Proverbs, most of these will be very quick and to the point. One, one caveat that I will say is I, I'm hesitant to put things on a list because that, that makes it seem like it's just do these behaviors and that's it. Remember, this is a matter of your heart. You can change the behaviors all you want, 
but it's your heart that matters. So are you seeking Christ as your Lord, or is your heart set on earthly treasure? So first, remember that everything that we have has been given to us. Be quick to give credit to the one who enables us to have anything that we have. Fight pride. Pride says that I did this, I made this happen. Instead, give glory to God that he made this happen, that he allowed this to happen. Second, remember that we'll be held accountable for how we use our master's wealth. That's all over scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. There will come a time when we have to give an account of what we've, we, what we've done with our, our lives, including the master's wealth. Third, getting wealthy isn't an end in itself. God's allowed some in this room the ability to make money. That's not a bad thing. But that's simply or not simply for your comfort or for your security. That ability has been given to you so you might glorify him and how you use it to bless others. So let's say that you get $1,000 as a yearly raise or a bonus or you get a big tax return or a tax return of any amount. Perhaps God has blessed you with that not just simply for your own comfort or for your own security. Perhaps he's blessed you with that so that you can use it to give to others, to glorify him in that way. Fourth, remember that they're just possessions, that people are far more important than possessions. So freely give of what you have. Freely loan your car to be used. Freely uh, give a room in your house for somebody to live in for a time. Freely lend your money. Fifth, make decisions, make money decisions based on whether you, you based on whether you're using your money in this way will glorify God better, or using your money in this way will glorify God better. So buy, spend, save for God's pleasure and not just for your own. Sixth, be generous. Instead of defining generosity as giving whatever's left over, define generosity as does this change my lifestyle? Am I giving in such a way that my lifestyle is changed? And seventh, last, discern your motivations. And there's five questions that will help you with this. First, does owning something, whatever that is, or working hard to attain something, does working hard to attain a, a promotion at work or owning something, does that pull you away from God? If so, then that's an idol. It shows that we care more about that thing than we do about God. So work hard to remove that distraction from your life. Second, am I, ask yourself, am I more excited about material things than I am about God? What do I delight in? What causes great delight? Do I get more joy from that new car or those new clothes or security at retirement than I do in, in, in something of God, in glorifying God? Three, what do I get defensive about? Do I get irritated or do I get overly protective of certain material things? If so, then work to remedy that. Four, do I compare myself to others? How do I feel about people who have more or less than me? Am I jealous of them? Am I envious? Do I feel superior? Do I feel inferior? Work to be content with whatever God has granted you to steward. And then fifth and last, how do I respond when I'm insecure? Do I seek to hoard material possessions to protect myself? Now, these are great questions, I think, that will help us to root out what our motivations are, whether we've mastered money or whether money 
has master, mastery over us. And if any of these strike a chord with you, then I would encourage you to share it with somebody else. Pray over it. Ask somebody else to help you with that. Work hard to know God is bigger than whatever it is that you're putting in his place, whatever material thing you're chasing after. So in, in closing, I asked near the beginning, what was the biggest money mistake that you'd ever made? I, I think that uh, for most of us, the answer to that is probably different than for God than it would be for you. If, in other words, if God were to answer that question, he'd answer it differently. His answer would have to do with the heart. I think that for most of us, for me anyway, the biggest money mistakes that I've made are in looking for pleasure in the things that I think money can provide, material things can provide, rather than looking for the enjoyment, the joy that only comes in Christ. Our biggest money mistakes involve chasing after materialism, idolizing what others have, making a bigger deal out of what I think that I deserve, rather than seeing Christ, seeing God as the food that is needful for me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that says hard things, uh, teaches us things that we need to know. I pray that you would take these things, help us to not be legalistic about this, but to apply them to our hearts. Help us to rightly see whether we are putting other things in your place, whether we're making a bigger deal out of material things than we are of you. God, forgive us where we need to be forgiven. Help us to repent of that and to give our lives completely over to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.